In episode 533 with Danielle Canty, we are talking all about how to build a global empire. We're talking about marketing with heart, social media secrets, branding, community building, and so much more. If you are a woman in business, you are going to love this conversation. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, Comparisonitis, and Time Magic. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited about this conversation because I have wanted to have Danielle on the show for so long. I have been on the Boss Babe podcast, and now it's so great to be on the other side interviewing this incredible entrepreneur. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this. There are so many tips and tricks that you are going to want to get out your notepad and write down. Trust me. And for those of you that have never heard of Danielle, in less than four years, she went from a small town chiropractor to building one of the largest self-development brands in the world, Boss Babe. She co-founded Boss Babe, And she has inspired over 4 million women to create more impactful lives and create incredibly successful businesses. She is an in-demand public speaker and has shared the stage with Tony Robbins, Jamie Kern-Lima, Jay Shetty, who has also been on the podcast, and Mel Robbins. Now, millions have walked away from her talks on overcoming imposter syndrome, growth and business partnerships, community building, and the customer journey in awe and empowered to remember their own potential. But best of all, her presentations are packed with actionable steps the audience can use to transform their lives and businesses. Her podcast, Boss Babe, that she co-hosts with Natalie, has had over 5 million downloads, and she is known to be a charismatic interviewer, knowing how to ask deep questions while keeping an audience on the edge of their seats. And for this reason, she was invited to judge the 100th Miss American competition as well as speak to all of the contestants, which is pretty cool. Now, Danielle has been featured in Forbes, Elle magazine, Success magazine, and Entrepreneur, but is most excited about electrifying and inspiring live audiences. You guys are in for such a treat. She is a delight and she does not hold back on all of her tips and tricks on how to build a global empire. So buckle up. This is such an incredible conversation. And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 533. Now let's bring on the incredible Danielle Canty. Beautiful Danielle, I am so excited to have you on the show. I've wanted to have you on for so long. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Oh, good question. This morning, I, I'm not sure if I've addicted to this recently, having an apple with almond nut butter, not the smooth one, the crunchy one too. 
So I've been getting really into that. I always start with a lemon water. Like that is my go-to before I have anything. So I have a lemon water. Then I have a coffee. And then I have my apple and almond if you want all the details. That's the way it rolls in this household. (laughs) Delicious, delicious. Is there anything better than almond butter? Seriously. Well, cashew nut butter is also rivaling it. But... (laughs) I feel like the combination of apple and almond is better. I agree. I agree with you. So, babe, beautiful breakfast. I love it. So yummy. Almond butter and apple. Mm, Delicious. Now, I want to hear your story and how you got to where you are today. This is such an incredible story. I think the most fun and impressive part of your story is the part about going from a small-town chiropractor to co-founding one of the biggest self-development brands in the world, Boss Babe, and all in less than four years. Honey, like I've been on your podcast, so I'm turning the mic on you. I want to know how did this all happen? Oh my goodness, what a journey it's been. Yeah, so basically for those who don't know, I was born in England, in Nottingham, where Robin Hood's from. And when I was asked at 14, what do you want to do? You know, when you get to like middle school, college, what do you want to do when you grow up? I was like, I don't know. And they gave us this list. And on this list were things like policewoman, nurse, doctor, lawyer. Like there was no entrepreneur on that list. And I don't even think I would know what an entrepreneur was at that point. So I realized that I always wanted to help people. Like I think that's one of my core values is you know, serving and making people feel better. And so I decided that I was going to be a chiropractor. And so when I went to university or college, as you guys say, I just decided I was going to apply for one place, one course, and that was it. My friends were like, and I'm telling you this part of the story because I think this sums me up. My friends were like, what are you going to do if you don't get in? Like you're supposed to put seven choices down in the UK. And I was like, oh, well, I will get in. They're like, well, you might not. And I was like, no, 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 I'll get in. And if I don't, then I'll figure it out. But I had this feeling like, you know, everything's going to be fine. So I applied there, went to chiropractic college. And at this point, you guys, I literally did not have an entrepreneur bone in my body. I had worked really hard at school. I had the hustle and mentality to have like three jobs from the age of about 13. But I was not the kid selling candy. I was not the kid with the lemonade stands. I was not. I taught dance. I ran after school clubs. I worked in retail. Like those were the things I did. And so going into university, I graduated in 2010. and went on this journey, like my first step into you know, having a career. And I loved being a chiropractor. I love being able to help people every single day, having people walk in and leave better than, you know, they came. And that was really, really satisfying for a really long time. But what started to happen as I started to go through that profession was I started feeling like this kind of glass ceiling above me, this like way of feeling trapped, like, hang on a minute. Like I felt like I was at the mercy of other people's decisions. And that first started when I was employed. And I said to my boss, hey, can I buy one of your clinics? When I was 23, I asked him if I could buy one of his clinics. And he looked, he was like this 50-year-old man, looked at me like, wait, what? Who is this girl who like, and I'm going to say girl, (laughs) how he looked at me. I think I was the same age as his daughter. Like, who is this girl asking me to buy her clinics? 
But I realized very early on that if I wanted to make things happen, I could only rely on myself in doing so. And so I approached him. He said, no, come back next year. So I went back the next year. And long story short, I became a partner in a bigger company that became the fastest growing primary healthcare brand in the UK. And so that was great. But what happens when you're in brick and mortar and you're in you know, businesses that need a location is it takes a lot of equity to get things off the ground and scale. And that was great, but I was also in lots of different partnerships there. And one thing I really started noticing was that, hang on a minute, I was really like, there was very few women at those conversations. There was very few, like I was definitely in the minority. There was one other woman, but I found myself really short of inspiring businesswomen at that point. I kind of started going on a trajectory that was not similar to any of my family's backgrounds. And I just started feeling really, really lonely. So as I felt this loneliness of being a, a female entrepreneur and this glass ceiling of, hang on a minute, I don't have a wealthy family. I don't have a lot of resources and money to get me to this next point. And also it's kind of harder to scale these brick and mortar businesses and I'm tied to a location. What else could I possibly do? And I think this is where the real entrepreneur spirit comes from, which is like, hang on a minute. I'm not going to, just because I started going on this path and I thought the journey was going to take me to this direction. Now I'm realizing that might not be the right location for me to go to. So let me think about what is going to be the right location, what is going to be the right destination. And that's where I started realizing when I was 20 that I didn't know that, you know, location independence was important to me. I didn't know that, you know, surrounding myself with certain people with certain values was important to me. I learned that in my 20s through going through these challenges and these aspects of my career. And so I sat down with myself in 2016 and I was like, you know what? I don't know if chiropractic is going to be the business for me in a longer term. So let me start exploring what's out there. And I bought courses on Amazon, like selling Amazon products. I bought things around like understanding network marketing, all this online business. And I really just started understanding, well, hang on a minute, there's all these different options. So mergers and acquisitions, all these places that I could go into. And I started really deep diving that. So over those next two years, I did a lot of research, a lot of you know, playing with different ideas on the side, like moonlighting. So I would work kind of like my 8 till 6 p.m. job. And then on the weekends and such forth, I would do other things outside of that. And that led me to go to a conference in San Diego. I was living in the UK at the time. I traveled 11-hour flight, took some vacation time to do this conference. And that's where I met Natalie, who became my co-founder and boss babe. And we had a really, really similar value system at that point, which was, hang on a minute, we're both ambitious entrepreneurs. We both struggle finding women that are are wanting to say, hey, I want to want more money, or hey, I want to make this career change, or hey, X, Y, Z. And so we realized that if we both felt like that, other women likely did too. And so how could we come together to create a space for them? And so over actually a very short period of time, I think we met September 2017, and we partnered on Boss Babe in 2018 at the February time. And in that year, we created a membership called The Society where female entrepreneurs connect, build, and grow. And that year, we did 1.4 million, which was more than either of us ever, ever, ever thought that we would do or earn more money than either of us had ever earned in our careers before at that point. And yeah, then we went on the journey, which was five years. Wow, babe. 
Wow. What three things do you think that you and Natalie did really well that contributed to the rapid growth and success of Boss Babe? What are three things? Number one, and I would say this with any business, is it's all about asking questions and creating products that solve people's questions. So what a lot of entrepreneurs do is they're like, okay, well, I think my audience has this problem and they create a product off the back of that without actually really doing that investigation. So we spent a lot of time like asking questions, listening to those answers, and then reflecting the problems back to people. Another thing that's really important is you always want to sell your solution, not your product. So you're, you're selling the solutions to the problems that people have, not to the product that you think solves the person's problems because they don't buy that. And so I think we really understood the science of marketing from an early stage and that was really key. The next thing was that we doubled down on our value system. So at that point, there were very little communities. One, communities didn't really exist. And two, there were even fewer that was specifically about women entrepreneurs. So what we used to get called out for a lot is like, you know, why are you not marketing to men? You're missing 50% of the population. Well, Yes, you are. But also if you speak to everybody, you speak to nobody. And we realized really soon that the more specific we were, the better actually our conversions rate were, the faster we were growing. And that was really important. And then third thing I would say was brand. We had a really strong brand from the get-go. It was very, very recognizable. No one was doing the quick pink quotes at the time. We had a very sassy voice. We had like, we um, trademarked unapologetically ambitious. And we were really, really clear in who we were and who we weren't. So I remember doing a whole branding guide. Like these are words we'd say. These are words we wouldn't. These are emojis we would use. These are emojis that we wouldn't. And so it became really recognizable that even if you didn't see, like read what was written, you would know it was a Boss Babe quote or you would know it was something to do with Boss Babe because maybe the color palette or the sound of it. And so I would say like those three things were really, really powerful to get us off the ground because we created that identity. We listened to like where the market was going and allowed that to like move us into certain sectors that actually hadn't been explored yet. And then I would say the other one, I just kind of add one more in is like community. No one was doing communities at that point. And so we really understood that businesses were built on bringing people together. And if you could bring people together then you could take them on that journey because you already built the no like and trust factor. Then you could take them down that journey of what came next. Beautiful. Everybody listening, take note of those four things. Find your niche. Like you said, if you're talking to everybody, you're talking to nobody. Who are you talking to? Branding, so important. So, so, so important. And I love that you were so specific we would use these colors. We would use these emojis. So, so good. Community, really important because everybody wants to feel like they belong, every single person. And then the problem solution cycle. What is the problem? How can I solve it? What is the next problem? How can I solve it? What is the next problem after that? How can I solve it? So my husband and I are launching a new company very, very soon, two new companies, which we are so excited about. I can't mention anything just yet. I'm so excited for it. But we have been constantly thinking about, yeah, what is the problem that we are solving? And then once they solve that problem, 
What is the next problem that they will hit? And then how can we solve that? So I love this so much. You are such a genius. I want to shift to marketing. There's a quote from you that I love. And you say, when women have wealth, the world changes. And when women become better marketers, wealth is much easier to come by. So I love that quote. Why is marketing so important? And what do you think is something that women in particular really struggle with when it comes to marketing? For sure. I think like, I also believe that when, this is actually a quote from my friend Sanera. She says, when women make more money, nothing bad happens. And I really believe in that too. I genuinely think the world would be a better place if the women have more control of the wealth within it. And this is just my personal opinion. There's going to be other people that disagree with me. But I think right now, I think we're more nurturing as women. And I think we're more caring. And I think, you know, particularly living in America, I'm like, this country could do with a little bit more like love and care for each other right now. I think that's really, really powerful. And so first of all, I think that for a long time, and I do think we're changing. So for example, when we started Boss Babe, women founded businesses. There was 22% of businesses founded in the US were by, by women. Fast forward to 2022, the report was 48%, which is a huge jump. And I love to think that Boss Babe and other communities have had a real part in that. But what happens is then when women are actually creating more businesses is they're solving problems for other women too. Problems that actually have been ignored for many, many generations. You know, Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, has that really famous story where she would go and talk to like VC companies and try and raise money and they would never invest in her. They would be like, wait, I need to ask my wife. I need to ask my daughter because men were in control of distributing those finances, but they actually didn't understand the problems that we were trying to solve. And so I think really what happens is like when women start actually solving problems for other women, not only does it bring us up as a other women, but it also actually raises like the vibration of society. Like we actually get more products for like both genders and transgender people as well. And I think that's really, really important that more voices get heard. But to do that, there has to be an understanding of selling and selling marketing, whichever way you want to determine, in my opinion, is very cross-reference. It's a communication style. That's all marketing is really. It's like communication. People, and I used to think it was this really, really complicated, aloof thing that was like an art. And I was never quite going to grasp it because it was kind of, you know, slipping through my fingertips every time. But really, marketing is a formula. And it's basically a way to describe to someone why they need what you have to offer. And sometimes, you know, if we're just like knocking on a door and be like, hey, buy this, like that's not going to translate. Whereas actually, if you start with a hook, if you start with a story, like knock on the door, like, hey, I noticed that I rang the doorbell three times and it didn't work. And I actually had to install ring systems. I don't know. I'm just making this on the fly. But like, you see how it's different to be like knocking the door. Hey, do you want to buy a doorbell? Like, no, I don't. I'm watching television right now. Like, and it's all about like this. And it, it really marketing is just good communication. I think as women, if we the more and more we get better at communicating our ideas and we get communicating, you know, what our products are then that also helps us then generate the wealth within our businesses to scale them and get them seen by more people. And I honestly think as an entrepreneur, one of the biggest skill sets you can focus on is communication. And I think that goes across the board, whether it's in marketing or whether that's growing your team or actually even that's in your personal relationships or 
your personal relationships that might actually just stay personal or your personal relationships that may become business at some point. Because generally what happens is people do business with people they know, like, and trust already. And so that's why I think it's really important that we don't see marketing as this alien concept. We don't see it as this really hard, difficult thing. Marketing is just good communication. So if your aim is to be a good communicator, you want to understand the science behind the communication of emotional, of logic, of you know breaking down someone's barriers to allow them to see. And I'm saying this with the assumption that everyone has a product that is leaving the world a better place and they're not just kind of like selling some kind of rubbish to make money. That's not what I'm about. But if you have a product that you're generally very, very proud of and you think in certain hands it's going to make their lives better, then I think you should be unapologetic in talking about that and sharing why it's good for someone. So important because I think as women, we can really shy away from marketing. We can feel like, oh, I don't want to be too pushy or sleazy or slimy. But if you break it down to simply thinking of marketing as a form of communicating, sharing your heart, telling a story, and that's what we're doing. We're opening our heart. We're sharing a story or something that's really inspired us behind why we've created this product or service. And if that resonates with people, great. And if it doesn't resonate with someone, that person is not for your product or for your service. So just speak from your heart. And I love thinking about marketing as just purely communication. It's just about becoming a better communicator. How can I crystal clearly communicate this with my audience from a place of love with some story interwoven with it? Exactly. And I think when you start taking this kind of scary concept away, like taking this, oh my God, I'm selling, I'm doing all these pieces and actually ground it in what you are doing, like you're just communicating your solution to someone's problem. It just becomes a little less stressful because I too was definitely at that mindset around like selling was really scary or you would think of sales people, you would think of like car sales people or your ways of doing it. But I do think now as well, we're also in the era. I personally do not get along with bro marketing whatsoever. And what I mean bro is like, oh my God, if you don't buy this, like your life's going to be like terrible forever because you have to have this product. Like I'm not on board with that. Like that to me is just kind of sleazy and I don't buy into it. But what I am on board with is like, hey, I have this amazing product. If you have these problems, then I have the solution for you. And doing that in good consciousness. And I think sometimes like put yourself in the other person's shoes. If you had something that's, let's say Melissa, right? I'm like sat here and I'm like, Melissa, I have this huge problem in my, you know, I don't know, let's say like kitchen right now. I'm like really struggling to you know, make nutritious meals. Like I'm, you know, X, Y, and Z. I can't find out what to use. I'm having this problem. And I I think my gut's playing up because of it, all this stuff. If you were sat there with like a solution to my problem, I'd kind of be more annoyed than anything if you didn't tell me about it. I'm like, wait, you're like sat on this like, you know, amazing probiotic or you're sat on this like you're creating these meal plans that you're really proud of that I could literally implement. And so I think just switching that and seeing that role reversal sometimes, because sometimes we think, oh, I don't want to tell someone about this. They might think I'm being salesy. But Melissa, even if you didn't own that that 
company, I would want you to tell me about it. So whether you own it, whether you don't own it, what's the difference? Because you're being of service telling me about it. And so this concept of selling as service is actually really true when you have products that you're really proud of. So just encouraging, you know, women to not see it as like you're trying to take something from someone. You're trying to take money from someone selling them something. What you're trying to do is offer them a problem and there's an energy exchange within that. And that is okay. Like, you know, money and energy is like, you know, what this world is built on. Like that has to exist. And, you know, taking that negative, sometimes people have like a negative association with money or negative association with making money in their businesses or whatever that is. Allowing that just to be neutral and just seeing it as an energy exchange. Okay. The more I earn is because I'm helping more people. Okay. That's cool. Amazing. Like I get, I put energy into the time and creation of this Y and Z and I get energy back in the form of a currency, which then I get to put into other women's businesses or, you know, wherever I choose. Amazing. It's all feels really neutral. So I think taking those aspects out really helps anyone struggling who kind of feels a little bit embarrassed to sell or, you know, is judging themselves if they are quote unquote selling when really they're just being of service to the people around them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we're doing it all the time. You know, I tell my girlfriends, I'm like, have you tried this new restaurant? Or did you see this new TV series? Or have you seen these awesome new yoga tights? You're constantly doing it all the time. And we just need to let go of the stories around it being sleazy and slimy and just sharing from our heart to help other people. Exactly. I could not not agree more. It's all about letting go of stories. And I think the beauty of being an entrepreneur is allowing yourself to realize what stories you have, what stories are serving you and what stories are no longer serving you and you can let go of because we get to rewrite these scripts for ourselves. We get to rewrite the stories, the chapters, the books for ourselves as we go. Absolutely. Let's talk about social media. For many online businesses, mine including, social media is a big part of our strategy, our marketing strategy. What do you wish all online business owners knew about social media marketing? What are your social media secrets? Because I think sometimes we can blame the algorithm. And I heard Alex Hamozi say this the other day is like, it's not the algorithm, your content sucks. And I was like, hmm, there's a lot of truth in that. So how do we know what content to post? How do we create good content? And share any of your social media secrets with us. I would love to hear. Okay. So first of all, this isn't a social media secret, but this is a business secret. You are not good at everything. Okay. You are never going to be good at everything in your business. So first of all, you need to recognize what your strengths are in your business and where your energy moves the needle the most. Okay. And so one thing that I just want to really share, because I do not think this gets spoken enough about, is there are many ways to grow a business, right? One of them, yes, is organic social media. Another one is paid social media. Another one is penetrating other people's social medias and communities. Another one is doing SEO. Another one is like local newsletters. Like we're in this day and age where we are forgetting that there are many, I have a customer journey that I teach, which starts with the find, and this is your traffic source, and then goes on to the learn. And so the learn I always talk about is your email list, which you always should be trying to build. But the find really needs to be 
aligned with who you are and what your principles are about. So I know people who are not got social media following at all, but they have built huge, huge businesses off the back of other people's communities because guess what? They have them as affiliates. They have theirs built into other people's funnels. So I just, first of all, I really believe that if you do not love social media and you are not good at social media, it is going to be an uphill struggle. So you have two choices. You either hire someone to come in and make your content better, or you look at different strategies to grow your business. Because do not forget, out of what, 4 billion people on social media right now, only 1% are creators. So what we see is we only are really consuming content from business creators. Like they, that is their genius zone, but we're not seeing all the other people that are creating huge amounts of wealth in different ways outside of social media. So I just want to give everyone that like breath of fresh air, because for me, I'm kind of, it's a, it does bother me that it's not being like discussed because I'm like, okay, you're not good at social media. That's fine. Like, let's work out different ways to grow your business that are actually building onto your strengths because there are going to be so many of them. And yes, I do think every single brand needs a social media platform, but that doesn't mean that is like, you know, LinkedIn content is very different to YouTube content, which is very different to Instagram content. But actually find like building traffic can also be from blogs. It can also be from like various other places outside of that, which you can, you and your team can explore. So first and foremost that I agree with what Alex is saying is there is definitely a lot of blame on the algorithm and that can be challenging for some people to have that feedback. And that's why I would say the biggest gift you can give yourself as an entrepreneur is being humble and asking for support on things that are not your genius. So just because you're a business owner does not mean you have to know how to do all these things. So if you do do it, like there's a couple of different hacks that I think are really important to understand. You have about 0.13 milliseconds to grab someone's attention on social media on the scroll. So you always have to be thinking around the hook and so what's bringing them in? So let's say for a real example, you might, you need to be like having something that moves and captivates someone to stop them scrolling initially. Like if you are basically what I would say, like if it's taking too long to warm up into what the real is delivering, people won't watch it. They'll just scroll past it. Like people are selfish. They don't care about your content. You have to be wrestling for their attention, which is really, really important. I would also say you really want to be looking into your insights one of the biggest mistakes that I see people making over and over again is they don't actually study what works well. And so I talk about this analogy as an entrepreneur. Your job isn't to hit the bullseye. Like, let's say we're doing darts. You don't just get three darts and three shots to hit a bullseye as an entrepreneur. No, your job as an entrepreneur is to have as much energy and momentum to throw as many darts as you can and course correct with every dart that does not hit the bullseye. So if you're like, oh, wow, that one went right off, that went right off over there. Okay, let me bring it more closer to the left. Oh, hang on a minute, that was too high, let me bring it down. And so I want people to loosen up around posting on social media, try new things. Post this, does it work, does it not work? I've really been experimenting a lot with my content recently as well. I'm like, okay, this is really interesting. So I do a lot of like educational like Twitter threads. They don't actually get as many likes, but they get a hell of a lot of saves. But I'm like, okay, like what does it look like if I actually turn that Twitter thread into more of a reel? Does that actually get more content because people are watching it more times? Or I've recently added like a many chat feature where I get people to 
on my reels, like if they want to join my newsletter, like put grow in the comments. Well, the many chat feature is actually helping more comments go on there, which then boosts it to the algorithm because it's saying people are responding. But I wouldn't have learned those things if I hadn't have tried those things and looked at my insights. So I personally think there's no excuse for not looking at your data. When anyone is in my mastermind, they're like, oh, Danielle, can you look at the sales page? I'm like, okay, yeah. What's it converting at right away? Like, what was it converting at? If they don't know what it's converting at, I'm like, I'm not going to look at it until you tell me what the day baseline data is, because I could be making changes to a site that's converting really well already. That makes no sense. And so just like if you're wanting feedback, like look at what your conversions are and also be really clear with what you are building for. So if you're growing on social media, don't always think the vanity metrics of followers is actually what's going to help you grow a business. We had a million dollars way before we had a million followers. And it's very, very easy. Like I've seen it time and time again for these micro, so micro following is anything under 50,000. They're very, very strong audiences, very niche down, very high engagement rates. Those are great audiences. So again, whether you even have a thousand followers or 10,000 followers or hundred followers, doesn't mean that it's going to have a direct implement, like a direct like association all the time with your revenue. You can actually do a lot with that. You just have to play the game differently and be a little bit more strategic. So I think when it comes to social media, that's my advice is like, number one, like really know your insights. Number two, always think about your hooks. And number three, don't be afraid to try new things because we're always evolving. And so once something is working, great, double down on it until it stops working and then be okay with the fact that you're going to have to iterate. And number four, if you're not natural at social media, get someone in your team who is so that you have time to concentrate on the things that do make you the most revenue. You can give feedback to them on social media, but like you don't have to be, let's bust this myth that you have to be good at everything. No, you don't, but you do have to make sure you have a good traffic strategy and a good email engagement strategy in your business, whether it's you doing it or somebody else who's doing it. So what are we looking for when we look at our insights on social media? What is a good metric? Is it comments? Is it views? Is it likes? How do we know if it's hit the mark or hit the bullseye? Well, it depends what you're like sending them towards. So social media, like you might have ones that, okay, so let's say for example, right? just taking some of my content. So I will post some like higher level content about marketing, right? So I have a newsletter called The 2%, which every single Tuesday releases marketing advice for business owners, okay? And it's called The 2% because only 2% of women's businesses in America get to the million mark. And I was like, this is terrible statistic. We need to change this. So let me help people with the marketing. So that's fine, right? But I might post those tweets They get a lot of saves, but not many likes, right? Okay, fine. Now, is that a good or bad thing? Well, it's a good thing for me that one, they're getting saves, and two, they're still bringing in some followers. But actually, the metric, the reason I post those things is not to grow. I post those Twitter things, uh, those Twitter threads, because I want the authority of being seen as a really good marketer. And I want credibility from them. That's why I'm posting them. I'm not posting them to gain me new followers, but I am posting them to generate me more subscribers. And that's why I have the ManyChat linked up. Uh, ManyChat, Meta own ManyChat. And they 
now it used to be very much a Facebook thing, but now they ran a beta for like the last year with Instagram and now they've rolled it out to everyone. So you, if you're seeing people write DM me and then there's an auto, almost like a, a bot that kicks in where you write, so mine says grow and then you get an inbox, a DM to your inbox that says, okay, cool, give me your email address. Like that's all via many chat. And so these types of tools are worth utilizing. But that's what my measure is there. If I want to do something with a virality, I know that if I want to bring more followers on and I want to reach more audiences, then my virality has to be like not as detailed into marketing. It has to be more aspirational content, inspirational, like motivational content. I know that that's the type of real content that I will get more views on. So I'm not always posting for the same reason. And I understand that with my strategy. And so I think that's a really important thing is like, you need two things in your strategy. You need, how are you increasing traffic? And then how are you getting that traffic into becoming potential like buyers? And what you always want, one of the biggest things that does correlate is your email list. I said to you earlier, there's not a direct correlation between your social media following and your revenue, right? And that's because algorithms do change or platforms change and you don't own it. So you always want to be thinking about multiple traffic sources. But what there is a direct correlation with is emails. And so emails, I would say, is like your owned house. So social is like you're rented and email is like you're owned. And so you want to own your house. And so your strategy should be like, okay, I have a strategy to grow my traffic. and I have a strategy to move people from this part of the journey into my email list, which is the second part of the journey. And I do this by X, Y, and Z. So being really, really clear on what each post is for is really important. And then I would say there's a couple of little hacks that this is going to come out like not long after we're recording it, but this will be outdated. Let's say you're listening a year from now. This is probably going to be outdated. But there is something happening right now where if you post a reel and you put it on your feed, it's mainly seen by your followers. And if you post a reel and you don't put it on your feed, it's mainly seen by non-followers. So that's something that's like happening right now. So there's like these little things that you can pick up on, but you only know that by testing or by following some of the social media sites. Like if you're growing on Instagram, a great site to follow, a great page to follow is the creator site. The creator site, which is literally owned by Instagram. Like Instagram are posting all their algorithm stuff on there. They're posting any like information on there. And so making sure you're in the loop or someone in your team is in the loop for where these updates get pushed. Because when you're ahead of where the updates are, just think about it in anything. If a business is releasing something, a brand new XYZ, it's going to want to be pushing it to more people to see if it works. So when you can start utilizing updates, if you're like, oh, this is like a new feature, sorry, that's been released, and you start utilizing it, chances are the algorithm will favor you in those aspects. But Alex is right. Like you can't, you can't like, what's that saying? Like you can't like outdo like bad content. Like it has to be good content. So that is going to be like, that is the backbone. And if you are not good at creating content, then do think about different avenues that you can grow your business. Absolutely. I love it. It's a very long answer. Sorry. <laughs> it's amazing, babe. Let's talk about community. You guys have built such an incredible community. And for the longest time, our industry has looked at community building like just having a Facebook group and then you sell to them and that's the community. But that's not your approach, is it? So how do you like to approach community building? Okay, so I want everyone to listen to this because it's really, really important right now. 
I'm going to rewind and share why community is important, right? Community is important because we used to, when businesses would sell, businesses would basically pay Facebook to get in front of you, pay Meta to get in front of you by ads. So this B2B element was really, really strong in getting in front of the consumer. That does not exist like it did before, right? The cost per acquisition for businesses to advertise via Meta is skyrocketed since the iOS update. The targeting is not as great. It's much more costly. All these reasons, okay? For this reason, communities, if you are building a community, you are in the right place at the right time and do not stop building your community, right? Because guess what? Businesses now who do not have their own communities or strong followings, they are needing to get more customer acquisition via penetrating other people's communities. So whether that's email sponsorships, whether that's going on podcast sponsorships, whether that's paying you to do an Instagram post or a Facebook group or paying you to recommend their product by being an affiliate. So it's so, so powerful to build a community and understand how to build it and where to build it. The second thing of all about building a community, the number one thing that most people do not understand is that communities are strongest based on value systems, okay? They are strongest when you have an emotional attachment to that community. That's why we were able to get Boss Babe to blow up because guess what? The value system was like, you're an apologetic woman? Amazing, come over here. You want to be sassy and you want to say the stuff that you can't necessarily like say to your friends because no one else understands you. Okay, we got you. Like we got some quotes for that. You want to be in a community of like-minded women who are ready to say, okay, I want to scale my business to six and seven figures. Amazing. Okay, we've got that for you. But it was built on emotion, all right? Emotion and then tangibility. When you combine those two things, that's when you get really, really strong communities. And this doesn't just go for digital products. Think about it when you're buying your makeup or whatever, right? Often you will be attached to certain brands because maybe they have an influence at the helm of it who you've admired and they have value system that you really enjoy. Or maybe the product has a value system. It's eco-friendly. It's vegan. It's X, Y, and Z. It's a woman-owned business. It's anything that was morally tied to who you are, you will likely choose to purchase from them versus other places. And so really understanding that as you as you build out your community, don't be afraid to say, this is who I am, this is who this community is for, and this is who it's not. Because if you do not polarize your audience, you won't get the attachment in from the first place. You won't get the loyalty within it. And that's what actually feeds off it. Because those loyal people, they will bring more loyal people and bring more loyal people. And there's often with communities a hockey stick curve. And so the beginning can be really challenging. So keep at it because what will happen then is we'll start to take off after that point when word of mouth gets out, people start advocating for it more, people start sharing it more. And so really like hold steady in your value systems and giving that value because that's what will stand it like through in the test of time. Like I created my 2% newsletter for women. Most people are like, wait, wait, why are you doing that? You're literally like saying that it's, you're missing out 50% of the population. Like I said earlier, well, like, no, I'm saying it's for women because that's my value system is I care about women entrepreneurship. Cool. I like, love our all entrepreneurship, but I'm like, look, there is a, it really sucks that, you know, less than 3% and sometimes even 1%, depending on what, what you're reading, like the, of that of VC money goes to women founders. Like that sucks. 
And so if I can encourage women to buy from other women to help change that, I am going to do that. If I can give free value and advice every single week to help women grow their businesses because I want to see more women's businesses get to the seven-figure mark, I'm going to do that. And I trust that. That's a very small niche that I'm talking to. But at the same time is I know that when I'm so strong in my value system there, the women who value that and see the the world in a similar way I do will refer it. They'll recommend it to people. And so that's really the power of community that I think a lot of people and a lot of businesses, they just miss it. And so either they don't build communities that are very strong or they literally try and build them too fast and like they're weak or they don't build them at all, basically. Mm -hmm. Where do you think they should be built these days? Is it Facebook? What are your thoughts? It depends. Well, I'm obviously biased because I exited Boss Babe recently and I'm building a SaaS company which hosts communities because I was finding that at Boss Babe we really struggled between we would have like, and I don't know if you guys have used it, but Kajabi would host our videos and then like it wasn't like a community because there wasn't enough like conversation in there. So then we tried to put Circle in there, but then that wasn't really working and it just didn't feel like it was a very great experience. So me and a few friends found a company called MemberUp, which brings those things together and has this community element. Because I don't know about you, but I don't go on Facebook anymore. I use my social platforms are LinkedIn, Pinterest, and Instagram. Like those are the social platforms that I use. And if I want a paid community, I want easy access to that on my phone. I want easy access to that. Like it looks and feels part of something. And that's what I always struggle with when I was like had Boss Babe was like those other softwares, they didn't, they were hard to brand in like the Boss Babe way. And we were very, very specific as you heard about our aesthetics. And so like I think building communities the free place is great for like, you know, your Instagrams, your LinkedIn's. I'm really trying to get them onto newsletter. Like I think paid for me, that's where I would use member up. Oh, look, I'm like actually noticing this whole selling service thing. So I was like, oh, like I don't want to be like so hard on member up. So I'm obviously like co-founder of it, but actually no, it's a really great product, you guys. So like if you're struggling to find a place to pay communities, it's really it. So like, I would think about it in those, in those two ways, like, okay, the front end traffic, bringing people together in your social platforms. And then why are you taking them paid? Yeah, I love it. I love it. So good. And we'll link to all of this incredibleness in the show notes for people to go and check out. But it is, it's, it's been such a big thing. Like we've got Kajabi and I'm like, oh, I I don't love the community in there. So I am with you on that, babe. I'll send you a trial to member up and you can have a peek inside. (laughs) Oh, I would love that. Yes, please do. Especially before we launch our new company. Well, we've got two new companies we're launching. So please send that over before we launch. (laughs) I'll send it after this. (laughs) (laughs) So, Danielle, one final question about work before we head into the lightning round questions. Now, during my research for this episode, I clicked through to your personal website And it had a holding page and there's your name and one line that says, currently reinventing myself, check back soon. So firstly, I loved that so much. I was like, yes. So what's next for you? How are you reinventing yourself? You've just exited Boss Babe. And what was the catalyst for this change that you're currently making? Tell me what is like the vision for you in the next near future and then, you know, five, 10 years. So 
I love this question. I want to just share a little bit in case it helps anyone kind of going through this. You know, I shared earlier how I was a chiropractor. And I think a lot of people think that, you know, we just write, our life is just one book. Whereas I really see our life being volumes of books. You know, like you can have as many volumes in this lifetime as you want. And some volumes might be shorter and some might be longer. And I am so grateful for all of the chapters that I have been on. And that's allowed new books to be started and uh, books to be finished. And so I think as I went through my chiropractic journey, that was kind of a volume coming to the end as I stepped into this online world. And growing Boss Babe has just been like the most phenomenal journey. I'm so, so grateful for it. And Natalie and I came from like very similar situations, very similar backgrounds. And we had, we had a shared vision for the company. And whenever you're growing a company, you have to have, you two visionaries have to have the same vision. That's just really challenging. And so just through like the last year, we just started to have different visions. And so we sat down and had this conversation like, hey, Boss Babe is our baby. Like what is going to be the best route forwards for it? And we decided that, you know what, we want different things out of our lives and we want to have different visions. And both of those things, how beautiful is this? Both of those things are okay. Like neither's right nor wrong. It's just like we all have our own lives. And so just permission to anyone listening to this who is feeling like maybe they are subscribing themselves to a life that they don't necessarily want anymore or subscribing themselves to a job, a business, a partnership, a relationship, like whatever that is, like fill in the blank. It is okay that those chapters and those books can come to an end because guess what? A new book has a whole new story. And for me, I'm like, I am so excited about this next chapter if you ask me where I see my life in 10 years time, if I, I, I am no longer naive to think that is what happens because my life changes so much. But what I am really, really loyal to is my value system. My value system is still and has always been to help people and serve people as many people as I can. And so what you can expect from me is always leaning into female entrepreneurship and always serving. And I think that's why I created a member up with my fellow co-founders, why I put out my free newsletter every single week, why I have my mastermind because I'm servicing. And I do have like you, a couple of other little businesses in the works. I can't talk about them yet just because they're just not ready to be spoken about, but I'm excited. But it's all for me is underpinned by helping people and community because honestly, community is probably like, I don't think I would have be where I am if it hadn't been for various communities that I've been part of. And I'm really, really grateful for that. So I'm continuing to hold that in the top of mind of everything I do. I'm so excited to see what is next and to watch it all unfold. Personal question for you, babe. Do you miss living in the UK? Would you ever move back there or no? I miss family so much. Like all my family live within three miles of each other. My mom and my brother and everyone live in like the same village still. And my grandparents, auntie, cousins are in the village next door. So I really, really miss family. But I actually have have family out here now. Like my friends here are so amazing in Los Angeles. Like I literally am so, so blessed. I've found like the best friendship groups and I don't... Yeah, I don't feel I I I'm never gonna say never, but I don't see myself going home anytime soon. Like I have a home here and my partner is American and yeah, so I don't know. I never know what the future's gonna hold, but I'm definitely not craving going home right now. I love the community and 
I love normally California weather without earthquakes and tropical storms coming in. That was wild. But generally, California weather is great too. (laughs) Yes. Very similar to where I live in Australia. Have you ever been to Australia, by the way? No, but I really want to. Oh, babe. If you love California, you have to come to Australia. The beaches, the weather, the health scene, the wellness, the nature, like you would love it. I think I would thrive in Australia. And I actually did say to my partner, because whilst I love where I live, I always love this whole like political landscape in America. There's a lot of things that I'm not necessarily enjoying. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'll go to Australia because I'm really not ready to go back to the wet and cold of the UK. So I was like, oh, maybe Australia will be the next place. (laughs) But I should visit soon before moving there. Yes. Come and visit first and then I will show you all the best things and you will never want to (laughs) leave. I'm booking in at your place. (laughs) Babe, you're always welcome. You're always welcome. Tell me what your definition of success is. Happiness. I think honestly, just being happy and that I am, I'm very, very lucky that I am surrounded by very, very capable business people who built and sold businesses for billions of dollars. And doesn't mean they're any happier. Like money doesn't buy happiness. And I think, like, I think as the research shown that above $70,000 a year, you're not any happier. Like that's not what makes you happier. I'm sure that's increased in more recent times. Like I'm pretty sure like, you know, but if you can put food on the table and you can have a roof over your head, it's not really about that after that point. It really is about finding happiness within and your health and those aspects. So for me, that's what success is, is being able to get up every single day, enjoying life, doing something I love. For me, what lights me up is helping people. And so I would define it as that. And I really feel very successful now because I'm at a point in my life where I'm very, very happy. So Mm, I love it, babe. So good. Imposter syndrome, something that many entrepreneurs struggle with, especially women. How do you overcome it when it pops up for you today? For me, when I first started, imposter syndrome was so rife. And, you know, the more internal work that you do, that dissipates. What do you do today to move through that when it comes up? And I will say I have suffered imposter syndrome at every stage of my career, guys. Like this is one thing you can always count on me. I will like never, I'll always share. Like I've had so many struggles and imposter syndrome was huge for me. The things I try and do now is like confidence or competence breeds confidence. And so understanding why I had imposter syndrome was really important. And so sometimes it would come up because I wasn't actually competent in that area. And so I might just do a little bit more reading. I might just take a bit of practice. The other thing was I stopped comparing someone else's chapter to my chapter one, like someone else's chapter 20 to my chapter one. I stopped doing that comparison. And then I also realized, you know what I spoke about earlier around throwing those darts? I was always going to have imposter syndrome of the thing unless I like practice doing the thing. And so that was really important for me, whether I practice in private first before going on stage. Like, you know, I had imposter syndrome. Like I've interviewed like the people I've interviewed, like Tony Robbins or, you know, even like when I interviewed Jamie Kern Lima, who sold It Cosmetics for like 1.2 billion or something. Like 
I had those moments like, who do I think I am having conversations with these people? But then when you like, one, I always prepped for them because that always made me better. And then the second thing that I really did that really helped me was like, wow, I have this opportunity. And if I don't do it for me, I should do it for the person behind me. And so just really making things not less about me. I realized my imposter syndrome was kind of like selfish in a way. Like it's not actually about me. It's about the women who are part of my community. That was really important for me to help overcome it. Or for not necessarily overcome it, but at least for it to stop paralyzing me. To allow it to be like a thing. Like I still get imposter syndrome. I just don't let it stop me doing anything. I think that's the biggest difference. Like I'd still have it pop up. I'm like, wait, can I really do this? I don't know if I can do it, but okay, better try. People are relying on me now. So let's go. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. I think with imposter syndrome and with even feelings and emotions, like whether it's overwhelm or stress or self-doubt, imposter, like whatever it is, I think the difference is, well, what I do and what it sounds like you do too, is we keep moving forward anyway. Even if that feeling comes up, the imposter syndrome, whatever comes up, we keep moving forward because the alternative is to just sit in the fear, to sit in the doubt, and that sucks. Does it move you forward in your life goals and your business goals? And so it's about continuously moving forward despite of the fear. And you know what? You can have a moment where you go, wow, I feel really insecure here, or I feel like I don't have confidence around this, or I feel self-doubt come up. Great. Cool. Whatever. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward and keep moving forward. And realizing like you're not alone with it. I think that's the other thing. Like we all, most of us get it and that's okay. It's just part of the journey. It doesn't need to stop you. It's just something you get to overcome. And how amazing that we have all these things that we get to overcome and be better at. Exactly, exactly. Now, babe, pretend you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. What book would you choose? Wait, you could have let me prep for this one. (laughs) Wow. That is a question. Just one, babe. You've just got one. Oh, my goodness. What? This is so hard. (laughs) I feel like one of the ones that had the biggest impact on me when I read it early as like a very, very early entrepreneur was The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. Like that was actually really like one that just jumped out to my head. Like I've read a mate, I think I've read so many amazing books, but it was like very powerful to like understand the power of the mind, understand upper limits and I really feel like, you know, particularly for someone who has reached the upper limit several times and then gone past it again. Like when I first started this journey, like the maximum I'd ever earned was like $100,000 a year. And my dad was probably earning about $70,000. And then, you know, to go on and earn what I have done. And, you know, it was just, I never would have got there without breaking through those like limiting beliefs that I had. So I think that's really powerful around like, particularly when you don't come from an entrepreneurial family or you don't come from wealth or you don't come from wherever you come from, right? Like it's it's really powerful to realize that your past doesn't determine your future. So that would probably be, a, be a, good, a good one for people to read. Yes, I love it. It's a classic. Now, I love hearing about people's morning routines and how they prime themselves for the day. So can you talk us through 
a typical day in your life. I know no two days are ever the same, but for this season of your life right now, walk us through from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I'll like think about a little bit about today. Also, I'm going to preface this by there's two things I really had to overcome. One, I'm not a 5am riser. So any entrepreneur out there who does not relate to waking up at 5am, that is okay. And it does not mean you're going to be a bad business person. Because <laughs> I was like, wait, I have to get up at 5am if I'm going to be successful. And I am the worst person at 5am. Like my friend Amy gets up at 5am and she texts me. I'm like, yo, this is the middle of the night. Like I'm getting up at 7am. So I'm a 6.30, 7am riser, for like eight hours sleep. So I always want to make sure I get eight hours sleep, have my aura ring on too, but I know it's like a big difference if I don't do that. So that is one of the key things. Then in the morning, I have bought a hatch alarm clock. It like wakes me up to sunlight. It op- like I don't like waking up in the dark or, you know, and I actually am one of those people who goes to sleep with my curtains open a lot because I like natural sunlight. So I do that a lot in the summertime. And so I have a hatch alarm clock and that also has allowed me to leave my phone outside my bedroom because I used to be a devil for going on. And because I'm three hours behind, a lot of my team were like ahead of me, literally waking up and going on Slack or doing emails or doing any of these pieces. And I have to say that did not do my adrenal glands any favors whatsoever. And I can't rely. And this is what I think I will say. If you don't feel like you're disciplined enough to have your phone by you and not touch it first thing in the morning then support yourself in overcoming that. So I was like, wait, I literally am, I can't trust myself. I'll like look at my phone if it's by me. So like, I just realized, okay, let me get a hatch alarm call. Let me leave my phone outside at night and then go to bed and then do it that way. So making sure I have those things in place are really important. And then in the morning, like I said, I get up. I am not a morning exercise person because of that time difference thing. It just doesn't work for me. I really need to get on with stuff like straight away. So generally I'll do my lemon water. Either I have a like random book. So one of them is this thing called you, which is Ernest Holmes. I have like clear weeds, heart talk. I have like several of them books that I'll just open at random pages and then just read a paragraph versus like reading a whole book. But I just really try and read something inspirational in the morning. And I annotate the hell out of my books too. Like they have pen marks all over them. So sorry if that offends anyone. (laughs) I'm just like scribbling them. But I'll try and read something like that with my lemon water. And then honestly, I'm sometimes Darius and I will go for a morning walk, depending. He does a lot of work with the UK. So it just depends what our meeting schedule is like. But otherwise, I'll like basically crack on with work straight away after that point at my coffee. And then we'll tend to go to the gym around three or four o'clock to break it up. And then I'll come, I always try and exercise if I'm not doing, or I'm doing a walk or something. Like I move my body every single day because I know it's a direct correlation between my moods if I do that and don't do that. And then I always try and like block book my meetings. So I'll have, I actually have days batch. So I have days, which is my coaching day, days, which is my content creation days, days, which is X, Y, and Z. So I have those already pre-done in my calendar. But then I always try and keep my afternoons free for creative work because I find it very, very difficult to context switch between like team stuff and managing stuff and then actually like having my zone to like, you know, I'm creating, I'm doing a retreat and I'm trying to create content for it. Like if I try and create that content in the hours here and there, like it doesn't work. Like I have to sit down for like a four hour block to actually get like into it and get into the mode of that creation. So really guard that time. And so then go to the gym, come back, 
I will sometimes work later. Sometimes I'll work till 10 p.m. Sometimes I'll work till 8 p.m. Sometimes I'll work till 5 p.m. It really just depends on what season I'm at or what's happening in my life. And I'm okay with that, being in flow and then just having a nice dinner with Darius all the time or seeing friends or socializing or doing something. Like I really try not to work the weekends at all and have those for myself. But sometimes, like I said, I'll, I might like, if I have appointments in the day, maybe I'll work a little bit later, but it really, really depends. And then I do my three meals a day. I didn't really say that, but I have lunch and stuff. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. Okay. I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Yeah. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Sleep eight hours. Foundation of everything. 100%. In my latest book that I wrote with my husband, Time Magic, there is a whole section on sleep for health, for longevity, for everything. Because if you are not sleeping, then it affects every area of your life. And did you know that we sleep 26 years of our life, 26 years, and we need to make sure that it's good quality, right? Oh my goodness, 100%. I'm like also really lucky because I can sleep anywhere, but I do think like investing in, you know, a nice calming atmosphere too is really important. I actually have the Calm app and I'll listen to a meditation when we go to sleep too. Just play it out loud, so. Beautiful. Okay, what is one thing that we can do for more wealth and abundance in our life? I would say be generous with what you give. And I don't necessarily mean money, I mean energy. Like the more you give, the more you'll receive, whether that's your time helping someone, whether that is like, you know, donations, whether that's actually like giving your best content for free, whatever that is. Energetically, I believe the more you give, the more you'll receive. Yeah, totally agree. What is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Be open and vulnerable. Yeah, beautiful. You have been so open and so vulnerable, and it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. And you have given so much. It's just been absolute gold. So is there any last parting words of wisdom you'd love to share? I think um, it's my birthday next week. I've been reflecting on a few things. And I would say one of the most powerful things to do is to always be yourself. Like when you follow energetically who you are at your soul, that's when everything really comes together. Alignment, abundance, all of those things. And so don't get caught up looking at the grass is greener or they're doing this, so I should do this. Like, Learn from what I've shared today. Amazing. And also work out how that applies to you in your situations. And be honest with yourself about what's in your heart, what you enjoy doing, what lights you up, what life you want, how you want to be spending those times. Because when you do that, that's when like, energy is in its full flow and more things will come to you and you'll have more energy for the things that matter in your life as well. Absolutely, babe. You are serving so many people all over the world. Like with everything that you do, you are helping and serving. So thank you so much. But I want to know what I and the listeners can do to give back and serve you today. How can we serve you? That's so kind. I honestly... If you want to, I'm on Instagram mainly. I'm going to be starting posting on LinkedIn too. Just come find me on Danielle County. Say hi, share this podcast. Um, And then if you are interested in marketing, you can join the newsletter. It's the link in my bio. And I think honestly, my mission is just to have more women earning more money. So anything, if you want to get involved in any of these things, 
and let me focus and do good with your money, then you're already serving me. So, mm. I think when good women make money, they just do such beautiful things with it in the world. And yeah, that's that's definitely something I want to help with too. It's just so powerful when women have money; they do great things with it. They serve. They change lives. So. Thank you for all the work that you're doing, beautiful lady. I am determined to get you to Australia and I'm going to make that happen. I'm going to manifest it. But thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure and you are a delight. Oh, well, thank you for having me, Melissa. This is such an honor and your audience is always amazing. So I appreciate you. Thank you, honey. I am so inspired after this conversation. And if you loved this conversation and this got you pumped, you are going to love what Nick and I are launching so soon. Oh my gosh, you are going to love it. I literally cannot wait to share it with you, truly. I'm just like bursting out of my seat to share it. It's going to help so many women and serve so many people. So, oh buckle up, buckle up, buckle up. And if you did love this conversation, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all of my episodes will just pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for a new episode. Now, come and tell me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini what you got from this episode. I would love to hear from you. And if you are a female entrepreneur, Come and tell me about your business. I want to hear what you do, what your business does. Please come and connect with me because I absolutely love connecting with female entrepreneurs doing amazing things in the world. So come and introduce yourself to me on Instagram. Come, 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 come. Now, before I go, I wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there is someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.